Cool. Okay. So, uh, as you were talking to your neighbour, uh, anyone come up with any interesting thoughts around the word meek? Uh, what immediately sprung to mind as you heard that little word? Shout them out. Yeah. Strength under control. He's gone straight into the deep end. Love it. Anyone else? We need it more. We need it more. That's great. Anyone else? Humble. Yeah. Final one. Quiet. Okay, brilliant. Well, certainly when I was growing up, the, the kind of words that I think were always leveled at me were, were words like kind of shy, timid, kind, mousy, you know, those, those are the kind of words. Uh, when I, I was growing up, I feel like Mary, the mother of Jesus, was always the person who was ex- given as an example of great meekness. This beautiful, quiet lady who just suffered much but took it all on her shoulders without even so much as a groan. She gave birth to this baby Jesus and the baby Jesus didn't cry and she didn't cry and nobody cried and you know everyone was just happy the whole time. There was just no anger, nothing. It was just this beautiful sort of Victorian sense of being being under control. And sure enough, if you look at a lot of modern translations of the word meek, you kind of get to those places. Uh, if you look at it in Spanish, I'm reliably told, one of the words for meek is, is the word mild. If you uh, translate it from German, you get to the word sweet, which is just a bit weird, if I'm honest. But each of those kind of has something to tell us, doesn't it? There's not that those are wrong, there's something there. But it feels like there's also something a little bit more that we need to get to. Because if that's all we've got, then it's hard to describe meekness as something that any of us would really want to have. You know, I, I don't know how you describe, you know, your friends or your family members or your kids. It's like, wow, they've, you know, they had, my son, he had such a great year. You know, he's just so meek. You know, that, that business leader, right, that guy who is at the top of his game, he is so meek. You know, that quarterback for the Rams, Ryan, he is just so meek. Like, it just, it just doesn't work, does it? There's something we've kind of missed out in our translation. But yet, this morning, as you can see on the screens, Jesus says to us, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And maybe if you're hearing that for the first time, you might have an initial response, which might be, well, no. <laughs> like, no. That's, that's not true, right? The meek don't inherit earthly things. The powerful, they inherit earthly things. The charismatic, the aggressive, the ruthless, they're the ones who get the stuff, the prizes. So how do we, how do we get to this? How do we understand what's going on? Well, we're, we're obviously going to have to do a little work together. And I know it's hot and I know it's like summer, but you're going to have to do a little bit of work with me. So the first thing we've got to understand is the kind of language that Jesus uses, which is very much kingdom language. Jesus is speaking to first century Jews. They're living in this occupied land. They're oppressed by the Romans. They're not free to worship. They're not free to move around. They are living in, in a real place of challenge. And they're looking for a new kingdom. Now, I realize it's July 4th, talking about kingdoms might not go down very well today, but I promise not to use the, this is make America great Britain again joke. I said we weren't, we weren't so we're not doing that one. Um, 
But, but the Jews were desperate for a kingdom, a new kingdom, a new and better way of being on earth, a political reality, if they're honest, and they'd been waiting for it. And when Jesus speaks in Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, pretty much everything Jesus ever says is in this frame of kingdom language. It's to help explain that there is a new, different kind of kingdom coming. A kingdom which has a king, Jesus. A kingdom which starts at this moment in Jesus, but also goes for all eternity, a kingdom without end. And as we've been looking at for the last week, it's a radically different kind of kingdom. I mean, radically upside down kind of kingdom. Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. And today Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek. But what does he, what does he mean? Well, the word blessing is really important. And the word blessing is the word makarios. We've looked at it these last kind of weeks. And one way to understand it is from the root, it is to make long or it's to extend something. And so if you want to say, what does it mean to be blessed? What Jesus is actually saying is, is that this kingdom is extended to a certain group of people. It goes out to a certain group of people. A certain group of people benefit from it. And who does Jesus say benefit from it? He says, the meek. They receive the blessings and the benefits of this kingdom. What does he mean? Like, how does that, how does that work? Well, let's try and get to the word meek a bit more because we need to do some work there, clearly. Now, if a modern translation doesn't get us all the way there, we need to come at the word meek from a different angle. And one way that you can always do it with the Beatitudes and a lot of Jesus' teaching is that when Jesus says something is really good and Jesus says something is to be desired, then you can pretty much guarantee that you will be able to see it in the life of Jesus. Right? When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, we can therefore identify that the one who examples to us, gives us the best definition, the best example of what it means to be meek, must be Jesus himself. And so let's go back to it. Is Jesus gentle? Yes. Is he sweet? I'm not sure. (laughs) But there's more, right? There's more. Now, Jesus is defined as meek, Matthew 21. Say to your daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle, that's the word meek, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is meek, but he's more than, more than sweet and, and gentle, isn't he? Now, that word meek, that it's the word proas, and of course it means humble and considerate and courteous and sweet and kind and, and those kind of things. But have you ever thought this? How can... The most powerful, the most impressive, the most intelligent, the most capable being in the entire universe be described as gentle and kind and courteous and and mild. As far as I can see, the only way that could possibly be true is if Jesus has an astonishing amount of self-control. Like not even a bit, not like your kids are screaming in the back of the car and you're trying to drive to church kind of self-control, but like absolutely incredible levels of self-control. There's something about meekness which involves us thinking about reserved or controlled strength. 
Uh, Laura took uh, our two kids to the library this week because it was so hot. Anyone else just die under the weight of the heat this week? Just like anywhere that was cold was a good place to go. So Laura took the kids to uh, the library in Arcadia and they came back with like their stacks of books and Chloe came back with all her lovely stacks of like chapter books. My son, well, not so much. He came back with a stack of the Guinness Book of World Records. Anyone into that book? Uh, it's nothing to do with beer, just to be clear, but it's like the world's best. And so all week long, um, he has been quizzing me. He's like, Dad, Dad, I need, what is the best at this? Or what's the fastest at this? And I've been trying my best to show that I'm a father who knows something about anything. But he said to me, Dad, what is the most powerful pencil sharpener in the world? <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know, son. So like, how many horsepower does it have? Like, how many horsepower does a pencil sharpener have? I mean, I don't know. Now, Will's answer to most questions is normally a 350 horsepower V8. So I was like, okay, maybe it was a 350 horsepower V8, Will. I don't know. No, Dad. So stupid. 650 horsepower V12 pencil sharpener, Dad. Here's a picture of it, just in case you're wondering. That's what it looks like. There it is. It's the engine out of a tank. So I looked at it for a moment. I was like, but son, I don't wish to be skeptical. But if you put 650 horsepower into a very small piece of graphite and wood, I think it's either going to like, spontaneously combust or it's going to turn to dust or fire or something. And he sort of thought, he said, like, mm, that's an interesting point, Dad. So he, he reads the small print across the bottom. And basically what it says is this. It was a 650 horsepower motor, but it was geared and throttled right the way down to have the same speed and power as a normal pencil sharpener. So that, that picture shows that there could be an insanely incredible amount of power going through something that would be too much for anybody to understand and handle and the whole thing would end really badly. And there's just something about Jesus which is a bit like this, I think. Jesus, who walks through life with the most incredible filling of the Holy Spirit, who could have opened up a can of whoopass in all sorts of places of ministry. Anyone ever think about Jesus a bit like Thor in Marvel? That's just maybe where I go to sometimes. But he doesn't. He never does. Never even close to the fullness of the strength that he, he has. There's this bit in John chapter 8 where Jesus is confronted by these Jewish leaders and they are seriously annoying. They're like this, hey Jesus, you're demon possessed. <laughs> hey Jesus, you claim to be God, but you're not. Hey Jesus, you're probably not even really Jewish, you're probably a Gentile. <laughs> and every time Jesus, they get angrier and they get angrier and they get angrier. So much so that by, by verse 50-ish, they're starting to pick up stones, like big rocks, and they're gonna kill him. And I think, you, you read it through and you think, this is the moment, Jesus. This is your moment to open up some sort of retribution on them. Like they deserve it, they should get it, you should do something here to set a tone, to set a message, this is what you should do. And yet it says in verse 59, but Jesus quietly hid himself, slipping away. Right, Jesus does all these ridiculous things and he says these things like, if somebody hits you in the face, turn the other cheek. If someone says you've got to go a mile, don't just go one mile, go an extra mile with them. Now, we don't like these sayings, I realize, and so we try theologically really hard to explain them away, and we have this thing where it's like if hit you on the front of the hand, you turn the cheek, then they've got to hit you with the other side of the hand, and that's embarrassing. And, you know, I'm not, you know, you can theologically argue those if you want. 
But there is something in the life of Jesus that is so beautifully under control that is so beautifully restrained. One Peter says this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus shows us that meekness is far from a weakness. It is a sign of greatness. The most powerful, the cleverest, the most influential human being is described like this by Paul. Philippians 2, 6 and 7, who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness. This is Jesus. If you want it in bumper sticker format, maybe you might have this. Meekness is my weakness, or maybe this is not, maybe the, this is the one that you'd really like. Meekness is not my weakness. There's something about meekness that is beautiful. And because Jesus is meek, Jesus says, this is who my kingdom is for, then there's also an instruction in there for us. The inheritors of the kingdom are the meek. To follow Jesus, therefore, bad news, is to pursue being meek. Now, some of us might, in, you know, we might, we might squirm at this moment because some of us will identify with the idea of being meek and some of us won't. You know, my, my, my wife, Laura, if you know her, people often say of her things like, she is gentle, she's kind, she's quiet, she's meek. You know, that's what they say of her. No one ever says that about me. Like, never. And I don't think they probably will if they use the definition at the beginning because I'm just not wired that way. But what Jesus is trying to help us to understand is that meekness is not a personality type. It's not if you score a certain Enneagram score or Myers-Briggs, then you're going to be a meek kind of person. No, meekness is a desirable quality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's why in that Philippians passage, Paul, before he actually says this whole beautiful thing about Jesus, he says this, in your relationships with one another, which is kind of life, have the same mindset as Christ. Meekness is a mindset that we are told to have. But why? Because it doesn't sound that attractive yet. Why? Well, Jesus says this. The first is that the meek find rest and they find healing. Anyone need a bit more rest and a bit more healing? I feel like we're all on this journey to find inner peace, aren't we? You know, the beauty contestants always used to get up, Miss World, like, what are you looking for? We just hope for world peace. You ever thought that they don't really mean that? What they actually mean is we're looking for peace inside ourselves. Right? We're just looking to be okay with ourselves. I feel like I spent a whole bunch of my 20s just desperately trying to work out who I was and how I fitted and would it be okay and was I anxious or was it, everything going to work out all right? Like, we're, we're, we're wired all the time to see if we can be okay with ourselves. And we're told that the way to do it ultimately is to strive, be better, right? If you just work harder, be more successful, get a better looking spouse, if you can just get more money in your bank account, then you're going to be okay, right? We do it to our kids all the time. Like my, I was talking to Laura the other day, like we, when we went to school, which 
wasn't as many hundreds of years ago as you might think, but you know, it wasn't that long ago. We used to come home from school and we'd like ride our bikes around the neighborhood and build dens and we do stuff. You know what kids do today if you haven't got kids? This is what kids do today. They come home, they work. They go to after-schools club to get better at skills, they go to a different after-school club, they get very tired, they learn a sport, they go to bed. They get up early and they start all over again and they do it maybe six days or maybe even seven days a week. That's how they do it. Right, all the time we are telling him, you just gotta get better. And if you can get better and better and better, one day you will find peace. One day you will be okay with who you are. But let me tell you something, church. It's terrible advice. It's terrible advice. I'm not saying it's not great to work hard, but it won't get you inner peace. This is how you get to inner peace, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke yourself, join yourself to me, and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart. And by the way, that's the word for meek. And you will find rest for your souls. This is where we find inner peace, in a deep, connected, whole life relationship with the creator of the universe. And we imitate him. We love him. We worship him. We talk to himself, to him, not that we beat ourselves up. And it becomes who we are. You know, when you're introducing yourself to someone, I don't know what term you use. Hi, I'm Ben, I, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a pastor, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a sister, I'm a brother, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm from California, I'm from somewhere else. You know, I don't know what you say. Have you ever said, I'm a child of God? I belong to Jesus. He defines who I am. He's everything I've got. Because that's what kind of Jesus is, is saying there. Now, it's the absolute opposite of Project Self. Now, it's not laziness. I don't think the disciples were lazy. I don't think the early church was lazy at all. They worked really hard. But there was something that they had, which this deep sense of purpose and security. You know, um, just occasionally, I'll, I'll get a chance to hang out with some people who have, you know, walked the journey of faith and following Jesus for much longer than I have. And you know when you meet someone who is just deeply content with who they are, right? You know, they, they know in Jesus who they are. You know, they can walk into a room full of people like this big noisy party and they don't have to be the center of tension. They don't care what they're wearing. They don't care what they look like. They don't care if everybody else comes and says hello to them and they, they laugh at their jokes. No, they don't care. They are just free to be who they are. And out of the freedom that they have to be who they are, they are free to be like Jesus, which is to serve and to bless others. You know, if you want to see a great mark of leadership, go and find the person washing up at a party. I think that is always the person that impresses me the most deeply. There is something that we are invited into, into meekness, which is this deep sense of security to have the correct view of who we are. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was definitely a meek man, who's... Uh, a wonderful theologian and pastor as well. He says this, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. The person who is truly meek is the one who is truly amazed that God and people can think of them as well as they do. That's humility, church. It's beautiful. Meekness is not powerlessness, 
Meekness is this ability to just be okay with who you are, to stand in the midst of everybody being angry and defensive and trying to big themselves up and be impressive and to be like, successful and to just say, actually, I'm okay because I'm loved by Jesus. Because he says that I'm okay. Because he is with me. The message translation says this, you are blessed when you are content with just who you are. No more and no less. That's the moment that you find yourself proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. This is who we are invited to be. Church, do you want to be the center of the world's smallest and shortest story? The story of you? Or do you want to play a supporting role in the greatest unfolding drama of power and might and love of all eternity in the kingdom of Jesus? That's what it means to be meek. So the meek find themselves. But Jesus also, I think, takes us a little bit further because he actually says that the meek get the prize. How do the meek inherit the earth is the specific words. And again, you might go, well, they don't. I mean, they don't. They don't on my, my street. When I, was, um, when I was studying at undergrad, I went to business school, and uh, for a third year, we were invited to take a year out and work in industry. And so I immediately applied to go and work at BMW head office because I was like, that is going to be the coolest job I can think of. So I got through all the kind of initial selection rounds to the point where they get you to go to BMW head office. And the night before I went, a friend over a beer gave me this absolutely terrible bit of advice, which I followed to the letter. He said, he said, here's the thing, Ben, you've got to know. When you walk in, there's going to be like 20 students around this massive board table and there's going to be these HR people and you have got to leave your mark, right? They've got to remember you. So I drove down the, the, to the office the next morning and I was like, I'm gonna do this. And sure enough, there we were around this big great board table in this massive bit of this BMW head office and, uh, and the HR person asked the first question. No idea what it was. And I was like, I've got it, I'm, it's me. And then the second question, I got it. The third question, like, I don't know over the, pers- the, the course of about 30 minutes how many of the questions I answered, but it was probably most of them. And I walked out after 30 minutes thinking, that was good. <laughs> that was really good. And I walked into the bathroom, and this guy, this other student from another university I'd never met before, he walked in after me, stood next to me at the sink, and he said, mate, I've just got to tell you something. You might be the most annoying person I have ever met in my life. <laughs> and inwardly, I was like, oh yes, <laughs> I have done it. I have left my mark. Needless to say, I didn't get that job. (laughs) I didn't get to go to BMW head office. But the reason I probably thought like that is because that's kind of how we're told the world works, right? If you want to be successful, if you want to make money, if you want to leave your mark, you have got to be ruthless. You have got to be all about yourself. But Jesus says that's not how this thing works. Jesus says the meek inherit the earth. Now there's a clue there. The clue is the word inherit because Jesus doesn't say the meek win the earth, haggle the earth, conquer the earth, or even in LA, rent the earth. He doesn't say that. 
The whole point of if you inherit something, usually what happens is you've done nothing other than you are in the right relationship at the right moment. The meek inherit the land. And that word inherit, it turns up 18 times in the New Testament of the Bible. But it's always used like this. For eternal life, for salvation, for blessing. They are the gifts which you and I didn't earn that are given to us. John Stott says it like this. Everything is ours if we are Christ's. But Jesus is really intentional here because he's talking about earth. Like he, and he, you know, we, we think, oh, he must mean heaven, right? He, he must mean right now, really, you know, bad things are gonna happen to good people, but one day, one day it's gonna be okay, right? Because, you know, my neighbor who's just really annoying and really not a very nice person, he's the one who's got the Ferrari and the RV and the speedboat and the house by the beach, right? He's that guy. So Jesus must mean something that's gonna happen one day in the future. But he doesn't. See, when Jesus speaks these words, the original audience would have immediately understood that he was actually quoting something. And the thing that Jesus was quoting was actually Psalm 37. And Psalm 37, 1 to 11 says this. It's a bit long, but just just bear with me because you'll see immediately what he means. Do not fret for those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when other people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath, Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. There it is. That's exactly what Jesus says. Not just heaven, not just one day, but even here, there is something good about being meek. Now, it is really tricky, isn't it? Because I did go on to work in the car industry after I left business school, not for BMW, sadly. And one thing I learned really quickly was those who make money are the least honest in the short term, right? If you, particularly if you're in sales or marketing or anything like that, right, if you want to be very successful in the very short term, it is absolutely true that you have to be ruthless, dishonest, you know, you just do everything you can to cut the corner to get to the money. But what I also discovered is that that doesn't actually work in the long term, generally. It doesn't. Gallup did this recent survey and they, they, they questioned, like they looked at the character traits of the top senior executives in the United States, the top companies and the top senior execs. You know what the top characteristics were? Number one, they were humble. Number two, a willingness to reach out to others. Number three, a curiosity. Number four, a deep desire to help other people. Number five, an effective communicator. Number six, integrity. And number seven, courage. Like, those were the top traits. Now, we can think of all sorts of reasons why it was like, well, but it doesn't seem to always work like that because lots of mean, nasty people seem to do really well in, in life. 
But Jesus is speaking about this holistic sense of being right, of being in the kingdom, of being loved, of being able to be okay with who you are, of being able to use the gifts that you have. And that's why the psalmist then goes on and says, the Lord ultimately laughs at the wicked because he knows that their day is, is coming. They are like grass. It says, one day they will be gone. But the righteous, the loving, the just, the meek, they are the ones ultimately who will inherit the land. And I think there's something in there about having this long view of stuff, isn't there? If, if to win quickly often involves getting a shortcut and being dishonest. Therefore, I think to stand in this place of kingdom is to be meek, is to look long, is to wait, is to stand even when it seems like everyone else is winning and you're the one who's losing and to say, it's okay because we're not at the end yet. And if we're not at the end, that probably means we're not quite at where Jesus is going to take me. Blessing is still ahead of me and not to compromise and not to take the shortcut but actually just to hold, hold on. Because this was the question. This was the question that the original audience would have felt so deeply. They were a group of people who were oppressed, who were overtaxed, who were religiously persecuted, who couldn't access the very land that they had grown up with. And the Jewish groups were asking these questions, like, well, what do we do? And the Pharisees were like, well, we just gotta be better. Be better, everything will be all right. The Sadducees are like, no, we need a political solution. The Zealots were like, no, we need a military solution right now. The tax collectors were like, screw this, everyone else is getting rich, let's just get rich. And yet Jesus says, hold on, be patient, wait, because the meek will inherit the earth. Verse 18, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and the inheritance, their inheritance will endure forever. The righteous will inherit the land, verse 29, and will dwell in it forever. That's how it works, church. Even if you don't see that, even if you didn't even feel that this week in whatever it was that you were doing, that's the promise of God for your life. But I think there's, there's one final thing I, w- I want to, to, to think to draw on for, for a moment. Which is, I think, really, that when Jesus says that the meek inherit, that the kingdom isn't for them, for the meek, that he's even actually got something a little bit even beyond that. And so I was thinking this week, I thought, who was it that Jesus actually ministered to, like in a positive way? Who was it that Jesus spent his time with? And so I I made a little list, and you can do this too with Google. It's very easy, right? The people that Jesus ministered to in chronological order are this. John the Baptist, wild dude, humbly lived in the desert in rags. Andrew, John, Simon, Peter, who were these working class fishermen dudes. Philip, who is such an unassuming guy that he's not actually, nothing, we don't know anything about him in the Bible because he never said anything, right? Mary, who's the mother of Jesus who deals with teenage pregnancy and scandal. Nicodemus, He's actually a very powerful religious leader, but has incredible like openness and humility to learn about Jesus. If you want to know about him, watch The Chosen. It's really good. The Samaritan woman, religious and social outcast. The leper, the paralyzed man, the man with the withered hand. The centurion, also really powerful Roman dude, but actually has incredible love for his servant, so much so that he goes to see Jesus to get him healed. The demoniac, Jairus, his daughter is dying. The woman who'd been hemorrhaging and unclean. The Gentile woman with a demon-possessed daughter. The woman caught in adultery. The lawyer. 
the lawyer, come back to him in a minute, the man born blind, Martha who's just desperate to impress Jesus and her sister Mary who's just desperate to worship Jesus, Zacchaeus, uh, the, guy, the small guy in the tree, uh, the poor widow, the dying thief, and then finally Thomas who was riddled with doubt and anxiety. Really interesting. Now that's a really diverse group of people. You've got old, you've got young, you've got men, you've got women, you've got rich, you've got very, you've got very poor, you've got physically well people, you've got physically you know, crippled people. What is true of every one of those people? There is something of meekness and humility there. There is. The only one on that list who cannot get to a place of meekness and humility is the lawyer. It's nothing against lawyers, by the way. We love lawyers. Remember the story of the lawyer? The lawyer is the guy who goes to Jesus and Jesus says, like, you've got to do all this stuff. And he's like, I'm already doing all the religious observance. And Jesus says, okay, well then let it go. All the stuff you have, give it away. And he goes home sad because he can't do it. Because he won't let it go. Because he won't humble himself. Who does Jesus minister to? He ministers to the humble. He ministers to the meek. Now, I'm going to leave you on a very controversial point that you might make you angry with me, and you can certainly go home and debate it, and that's totally fine, but I'm just trying to provoke you to think about something this week. Could it be true that one of the reasons we've got ourselves into a bit of a mess in the church, widest sense, is that instead of being the meek, who minister to the meek. We've actually desperately tried hard to be the right, the powerful, the in charge, the proud, who minister to the powerful, the in charge, the ones who have it all together, the influencers, the ones who are in charge, who are gonna influence other people, right? Could it possibly be that the way of the kingdom is actually to be the church of the meek that seeks out the meek in order to minister God's healing to the meek. Now, I don't think you have to be poor to be meek. We just talked about it. I'm not saying that God is not interested in those who are powerful, who seem to have it all together. But I just wonder, even this week, I wonder who are those that are around you? Maybe they have a meekness that's enforced upon them. If you think about like those who yesterday we took our first team out to minister to those who are ho- homeless in this community, people like that, or the poor or the sick, the, the hurting. But what about like people like the centurion, those who are very powerful, but yet there is an openness, yet there is a humility, yet there is a readiness to humble themselves. Because it seems to me that's the kind of doorway that the Lord will often want to use to bring the good news of Jesus. People who think that they've got everything together probably aren't ready to hear the good news of Jesus. But those who are meek, those who are humble, those who are waiting, just maybe this week, there might be a moment where you might get a chance to speak of God's love to them. Because I think it's a really beautiful thing. I just wanna show you this very little clip before I close, uh, which is of a, a guy who ministers, he's an evangelist to Native American tribes. And I just thought he gives us a really in- interesting insight on that. One of the challenges that we have is being able to see life from somebody else's perspective. So based on my life experiences as a Native man, uh, growing up in Texas and Oklahoma and living in Tennessee and, and the travels I've done, I've got all these different colored lenses I put on my, uh, on my glasses. The challenge is, can I take off my glasses 
and put on yours and see life from your perspective. And when we can do that, then we have a greater heart of acceptance for things that are different than what we know of as our normal. And he goes on in a little bit, which we haven't got the clip of, but he talks about his own need to be meek as an evangelist, but also of the way that that has opened up doors to bring the good news of Jesus to the really hurting, broken communities of Native American communities around the United States. So I'd love to pray with us, and we're going to have some time to worship again now. So if you want to stand where you are. But as we, we just have a, a minute of quiet, just I want to ask you those questions again. What's the invitation to you to be meek today? And who are those around you who are meek, who are ready to be ministered to? So come, Holy Spirit.